We have merchandise available for sale on our website. We have men's tees and women's tees and tanks with our logo, 100% swing content, and I love hashtag apple pie. Show your support for the show and get a fun, stylish shirt. Just go to thenakedtruthwcs.com forward slash store to buy yours today. We can ship it to you or we can get it to you at an upcoming event. Again, that's thenakedtruthwcs.com forward slash store. Get your merch today. This episode of The Naked Truth is brought to you by City of Angels, LA's premier West Coast swing event. Join us April 11th to the 14th in sunny Los Angeles, California, for a weekend of workshops, competition, and social dancing with some of the best instructors, DJs, and dancers around, including Jordan and Tatiana, Ben and Victoria, Kyle and Sarah, Benji Schwimmer, and yours truly. Competitions include Jack and Jill, Strictly Swing, Rising Star, Classic, and Showcase. And you'll get to see special performances by Jordan and Tatiana and the JT Swing team. Early bird passes are available until March 31st and include Friday night's glow party, a Saturday night breakfast buffet, and a limited edition t-shirt. And our listeners can get $10 off a weekend pass by going to thenakedtruthwcs.com forward slash COA. That's thenakedtruthwcs.com forward slash COA as in City of Angels. Don't miss out on all the fun. Buy your passes today. And now on with the show. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And today we have a talented dancer, teacher, and judge with us. She studied modern ballet and jazz as a child and then pursued her training as a dance major at the University of Utah. She worked with Arthur Murray for several years as she was part of the Arthur Murray Dancers on the Merv Griffin Show before striking it out on her own. She has excelled at country dancing and West Coast Swing, and today she travels as a judge and instructor. She has been very successful in master's competitions, consistently earning top placements in Jack and Jill and Strictly Swing competitions, including at the U.S. Open. Here to discuss her experience, her views, and her insights, please welcome Carrie Lucas. Hi, Miss Carrie. Hi, Miss Carrie. How are you? (laughs) Hello. So happy to be here. We're happy to have you. Um, We always ask the same first question. So the first question is how... And when did you get started in West Coast Swing? In West Coast Swing, I actually started with Arthur Murray's, and I was te- learning all 20 dances at Arthur Murray's Latin Ballroom. And um, West Coast Swing was kind of a novelty dance, kind of a specialty dance that, you know, it wasn't specifically you had to take it in the program, but people started asking for it because it got popular. Mm-hmm. And um, I got into it, and I probably was dancing West Coast Swing for about five years before I moved down to Southern California. <laughs> and um, at I was living up in Petaluma, California, and I had a successful dance team called the Wild Woolly and Western Dancers because my roots is really country as I grew up on the back of a horse and rode in rodeos and did pole bending and barrel racing when I wasn't attending ballet class. So I was big in uh, country and I met a guy named Tom Maddox. He took a look at me uh, doing... uh, a choreography on my team called the hat dance. And it was a West coast swing number where we took the guys hats off when we spun around and then kind of put it on our hips and (laughs) spun around, flipped it up. The guys put it back on their head and it was all West coast swing. And Tom got a look at that as well as Barry Durand and Phil Adams. 
And they thought, wow, uh, <laughs> she's doing West Coast Swing and Country. You know, so I was one of the first out there doing it in what in country. I don't get credit for it. Tom Tom did a lot with that, and he was really fun to work for when I came down to Southern California. And the reason I came down to Southern California is because I met a man named Mike Lucas. Mm-hmm. I I sent my team up to Reno to this big dance convention, and I couldn't go that weekend, so I just sent my team up. And they came back and they said, "Wow, you should have been there, Carrie. You're not going to believe the videotapes we got. You know, I guess it was VHS back then. Right. And there was this guy there from Southern <laughs> California, and he was doing West Coast swing like you've never seen it before in the country competition. So I looked at this video and I said, "I got to dance with that guy." That's mm. it. I, I got to dance with that guy. So I had heard about this big country competition, country slash swing competition in Colorado, put on by a couple named Cheryl Lindbergh and Wayne Bott. <laughs> and right. I heard that they were having team match, team matches. And I called them up and I said, hey, I've got a dance team with 10 couples on it, and I'd like to be your California uh, representative on your team match. And so I called up Mike Lucas <laughs> right. in Southern California. And I said, Oh, you know, I'm, my name's Carrie. And he says, I've heard of you. And I said, well, I'm putting together a California team match for, for, um, a Cheryl and Wayne. And, uh, would you be on my team? And he goes, yeah. And he brought his partner, Gloria, and we all met in Denver. And I never even got a dance with him at that time. But I got to meet him, and uh, we did the team thing. And then shortly after that, I went down to my first Fresno, which was... Well, let's back um, up for a second. Yeah. What, what, what was the name, just so that everyone can know, what was the name of the event that Cheryl and Wayne were running? I <laughs> think it, it might have been the original Colorado Country Classic. I'm, I can't really mm-hmm. remember. I can't okay. remember, Deborah. Talk on it. That was a while ago. So um, anyway, I met up with Mike Lucas again at the first Fresno, which was at a place called the Hacienda. And um, we started writing letters back and forth. And uh, one thing led to another. And I ended up moving down to Southern California. And at that time, uh, Buddy Schwimmer uh, heard that I was moving down there. And he called me up and he said, is it true? And I said, yeah, I'm coming down there. And he says, well, I need a ballroom instructor at my swing studio. Mm. And uh, so I already had a job before I got there. I went to work for Buddy, and um, he was always off to Germany or France choreographing cha-chas and sambas and ballroom routines for the top couples in the world. And he would leave me in charge of his swing classes when he was out of town. And he had this amazing graph. It was just a one-sheet paper graph, and it would have um, – words across the top and words across the bottom and then you would connect them in the middle and to make uh, it, it was a page with 500 different syncopations on it wow and you just would connect you know you it was the cleverest thing i've ever seen in my life and he said learn these because you're not allowed to teach anything but my moves in my classes and i said <laughs> yes sir <laughs> And at the same time, I was studying with Lynn Vogan, mm-hmm. as was Charlotte Charlotte Bott, then Charlotte Jenkins, uh, now Charlotte Bott. And we ended up to be on Lynn Vogan's dance team at the U.S. Open. And um, I think you'll appreciate that bit of history, Deborah, because you and Charlotte and I are people that can say we danced in the pit. 
Right. <laughs> and we and we got introduced by Kenny Witzel. Oh yeah. That's right, right we did. So, mm-hmm. so I I think about how special that is sometimes that we we danced at the old Disneyland Hotel in the pit and and experienced Kenny and uh, you know when West Coast Swing was really just purging, just just rocking out of its socks, you know, really getting the attention of people all over the world. Right. But um but one of the interesting things that happened to me when I first came down to Southern California with Mike was that he took me out to a swing club. Uh, it was a nightclub that had a swing venue on Sunday afternoons in Long Beach. And he took me in there and I was looking on the floor at these, this woman dancing and she was thin and blonde and had on a blue dress and she was, I couldn't take her, my eyes off of her. And I said to Mike, I said, well, that woman over there in the blue dress, I said, what is she doing? And he goes, well, Carrie, she's doing West Coast Swing. And I said, that isn't any kind of West Coast Swing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I've been teaching it for five years. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, maybe, you know, Arthur Murs was a more little ballroom version. And I, I just looked at it and said, uh, well, I have to have that. <laughs> and <laughs> this, uh, you know, I think you had that same experience when you met, uh, uh, met up with West Coast Swing in New York. And, yeah, I um, loved it. Yeah, and uh, this woman saw me, and she came over to me, and she was the most gracious, warm, loving woman. She said, you must be new. And she said, my name is Annie Hirsch, and I mm. just want to welcome you to our swing gathering, and I'm so happy you came. And <laughs> that was my first uh, sight and introduction to a, a extremely wonderful woman who I'm still really good friends with. And every time I see her, she gives me that same warm greeting she did back then. And she was my first inspiration to learn more about the dance than I knew from the ballroom version. Sure. And so I worked for Buddy. I danced with Lynn and I uh, just started getting my foot in the door. And pretty soon People were kind of, you know, I'd go out to a club like the Crazy Horse or the Boogie. Boogie is where we all went on Sunday nights and different clubs and Cowboy Boogie. It was Cowboy Boogie, yeah. Yeah. And women just started following me around. I mean, they'd literally follow me in the restroom and they go, we don't know exactly what you're doing, but we we really like the way you're doing West Coast Swing. You're doing really cool things with your feet. And and we'd like to, you know, and and I had to think about it because I just do it. You know, mm-hmm. but I had to kind of come up with a syllabus and a, 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 a real technique and structure to what I was doing so I could teach it to others. And I realized that, well, I was using all my training. I had a little ballet in there. I had a lot of Latin. I was using international rumba. I was doing hip twists. I was doing drags. Uh, I was doing sustained singles and syncopated triples and I had to break it down. So at that point, um, I went to a fabulous, brilliant woman named Skippy Blair. Yeah, and she's I, really good at teaching you how to break down what you know. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. And I credit uh, the teacher I am today to her mm-hmm. because it's a brilliant system and you can learn it so fast. And I can walk into a workshop with Deborah Seke 
and I can look at your feet and I, and everybody else might be going, what is she doing? She's going right, left, da, da, da. and I look at you and I go, well, she's doing an extended double. She's doing out, out and cross. That's four transfers of weight to only two beats of music. Isn't she clever? I love Deborah. <laughs> and I can just, and I can just jot it down instantly where somebody else who didn't know the unit system would have to write it, take them a page to write it out or now they just film it. But, um, before we all had cell phones, doesn't that sound funny before we all had cell phones? Um, so that's kind of how I got my start into West coast swing. And then Tom Maddox was hiring me all over the place. I think I worked, I did up to 10 or 11 events a year for Tom and he, (laughs) he would always say, Carrie, I'm going to, you know, I hire you because I make a lot of money off you and I'm going to make more money off you. And he says, the reason is, is because you're not a one trick pony. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you can teach everything. I hire you for my conventions. You can teach cha-cha, country two-step, nightclub two-step, waltz, tango, anything I want you to teach. I get, I get my money's worth out of you. And he says, you make money for me. And I said, really, Tom, that is so nice to know. How about a raise? <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you, Carrie. <laughs> but uh, so Tom really got me started on the convention circuit, mm-hmm. and um, that uh, you know, and I, I worked a lot for him. And uh, at that time, it was all about him and the Buena Park Hotel and all the events he was doing down here. That was kind of the big focus. I didn't venture out of state at that time, and then I had a baby. Right. I had my, my beautiful daughter, Bonnie, who's now 23, and dance, dancing on Bella Veramonte's uh, Varsity JT team. Yes. And uh, she's she's uh, five foot ten and has a handsome, tall, dark, handsome partner. And she's back into her dancing because she took a break while she went to college for a while. And um, so I had Bonnie, and I actually just retired from doing any kind of competing for a while. I, I still taught because I am a true, 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 true teacher at heart, which um, I got from my father. My father uh, worked his way through Northwestern Med School working for the author Murray in Chicago. Hmm. And my mother, with her long wavy red hair, was a professional tap dancer downstairs underneath the author Murray studio upstairs. And uh, she decided she wanted to learn ballroom because back then it was all about Rita Hayworth. And they said she was a lookalike for Rita Hayworth. And she went upstairs to take ballroom. And of course, all the male instructors took one look at her and they all wanted her for their student. But she chose my father because he was in med school. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, my father uh, ended up uh, being an army captain. Then he switched to Navy and he was a Navy captain, and so we were traveling all over the United States and all over the world. And uh, my father would take me to the officers' club when I was five years old and have me be his partner for teaching the Voxtrot. So I just kind of, I think it was in the blood and in the bones. And um, uh, I always saw myself as a dance teacher. I was 10 years old. I had was giving the neighborhood kids dance classes in our garage. Mm. <laughs> I think I was charging a nickel or something 
And uh, my sister, who was four years older, and her and her friends were into watching Dick Clark's American Bandstand. And they would make me watch it with them. And then they'd lock me in the bedroom and say, show us that cha-cha move they did. And I'd go, oh, okay. Well, well, this is what they did. (laughs) You know, because I could just, I was a mimic. I could just see anything and just do it with my feet, uh, which I think I got from tap dancing. But um, so that's how I really got the love of teaching and wanting to be a dance teacher was from my my father, my parents. And then moving, when I uh, went to work for Arthur Murray, um, it was because I was on a jazz dance team called The Jazz Machine in San Francisco, and we were renting the Arthur Murray studio in the daytime to do our practice. And one day after the practice, uh, Patrick and Wendy Johnson, who are to this day a very high-caliber abjecators, that's what they call judges in the ballroom world, came up to me and said, we've been watching you, and we think you would be really good at what we do, and we'd like to train you and have you come to work for us. And I said, well, I always wanted to be Ginger Rogers. Wait, so hold on. So they asked yeah. you to be an adjudicator? Is that what you no, said? They, no, they were yeah. abju- they're adjudicators now. They owned an Arthur Murray studio then in San Anselmo up in Marin County in Northern okay. California. And they asked me if I would come to work for them. They said they'd been watching me and thought I'd be real good at it. And I said, well, what the heck? I've always wanted to be Ginger Rogers. So, yeah. <laughs> and I went to work for them. And within a week, you know, they were giving me silver and gold classes. And I'd grab one of the other instructors and haul them into the teacher's lounge and go, quick, teach me a silver cha-cha step. I have a silver couple coming in. <laughs> you know, So I was a seven years and I got to do some TV work, which was really nice. And then as uh, we all do at one time or another, we kind of go out and be independents. We decide that we, uh, we can make a better income uh, that way. And um, I, I went out on my own and that's about the time urban cowboy, the movie came out country Mm -hmm. was really big. It was a natural fit for me being an old cowgirl. So um, that's when I uh, had my team, the Wild Willie and Western Dancers. That's when Tom Maddox discovered me. And I moved down to California. And then the rest is, you know, meeting Annie Hirsch and just getting, you know. And then I retired for a while, had a baby, came back and decided, wow, everybody's having fun. I think I'll compete again. So I started competing again after about a 12-year break. So you've mentioned, you know, a lot of... (laughs) <laughs> great names and uh, mm-hmm. really important people in our community that you've had the chance to interact with. Um, you mentioned Skippy really influenced you as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had all this background from your parents and from Arthur Murray and teaching. Who influenced you the most as a dancer? Was there anybody who influenced your style of West Coast swing the most? Well, absolutely, uh, Deborah. Anybody who's had jazz ballet training is is always, I can tell the minute they walk on the floor that they've had classic training. And so I, I lean toward Deborah's and Melissa Roots and, <laughs> and uh, of course, now Chantal Pianetta. And um, um, there's a lot of girls who actually, I would swear they had ballet and they say, no, I never ever had but mm-hmm. so they're either natural or they're just picking it up by watching others i don't know but i like the feminine uh dancers who know how to point their toes and have good foot position exquisite arm styling um nice extension uh that was one of the 
the first things I noticed about you, Deborah, boy, she had beautiful extensions. People weren't using that kind of technique in West Coast Swing until Deborah came in. They, she was doing arabesque and bot moths and splits and uh, things like that. And uh, yeah, those were my influence. Yeah. And of course, Lynn Vogan. Right. <laughs> the great, late, great Lynn Vogan. She and, and she, you know, Charlotte studied with Lynn Vogan. And, uh, and I still see some of the Lynn Vogan styling there when I watch Charlotte. And, uh, well, well, you've mentioned a lot of um, females, which I think is great. Um, so what has been your experience, you know, as a female um, dance professional over the years? Well, that's a good topic because it's very <laughs> tough to be solo. Yeah, I know. Uh, and I think there are very few of us who have lasted a long time and made it as a solo. And, um, you know, it's always a so-and-so and so-and-so. And, you know, now they have the cute little names where they're the the Bamio Benmo. And, you know, I mean, it's all, right. it's really geared toward couples. And I get it because if I was an event director, I would want to hire a couple because you're getting two for one. You get a, you get a performance and you get two teachers. And I mean, it's, it's wonderful, but it is tough on a single gals who don't have the guy partner there all along. So what I have always done is, um, I like to show off my students. I, you know, I know that I know how to dance and it's not about me standing there showing off to them. It's about me showing off them. So I just pick the most savvy guy in the class who looks like he's got the pattern down and I demonstrate with him. And what happens is all the other guys in the class want to be him. Right. Right. But I have a question <laughs> though, by, by you doing that, um, that that takes away the fact that you're knowledgeable in leading as a female. So I would take I, I would if I'm teaching every once in a while I'll take I'll take a follower in t to to help me and I'll lead the follower. But now you're taking a leader and you're making him lead you and you're the instructor, which takes away the power from you as a female instructor. So I'm curious as to why you would do that. Well, I do exactly what you do as well. I, I, I lead the girl, then I have a guy lead me. But what okay. I'm saying is I use my students. And I'm glad you brought that up, Deborah, because at Author Murray's, mm -hmm. uh, they made us learn the, the, the leader part before we were allowed to learn the female part. Mm -hmm. And they, we were checked out of our bronze, silver, gold, gold bar, gold star medals, as mm -hmm. they call it. And we had to lead Every dance, and I'm talking, you know, uh, a lot of dances, right. like all the Latin dances and all the smooth dances and then the novelty dances like swing. I learned them as a leader first, and I think that mm -hmm. made me a much stronger teacher and better for teaching the men, you know, and the, and the people who lead. So you're exactly right. Exactly right. You and I, you know, we have to do a lot of leading when we teach because well, we yeah, don't I, have a, a I just find there. it interesting that you would do that, especially since, like, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, being being a female, it's harder. They they want couples. They want couples. They want couples. But that's not necessarily true. You know, I, I travel a lot and I see that they have couples and they will have single males on their own hired for the weekend. Of course. Of yeah. Course okay. They do. And, okay. and then and it's getting better and better. And it's gotten it's gotten better, you know, in the last 10 years. Absolutely. Say. Sure. I would say that's partially because I travel by myself and 
you travel by yourself. They're the and, best workshops I've ever <laughs> had. You know, Brandy, uh, are Brandy. wonderful at, yep. at solo workshops. And uh, it's, you know, it's amazing. And I learn a lot from both of you. And I can't think off the top of my head right now. I'm sure there's others as well who, who do solo workshops. That's You're absolutely females. right on that. Right. Yes, okay. females. I was just double-checking. Yes. <laughs> and what was your experience when you were with Arthur Murray? Were you teaching by yourself? Were you required to teach with a male professional? Oh, no. I, I taught by myself. Okay. And um, I most of my students were uh, men. You know, mm. they the men come in and they want an author. Murray, I have to say, they liked to hire attractive girls back then. They mm. would take them right out of high school and train them uh, because uh they would work for five dollars an hour <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was actually a little old I was 26 years old when I went to work for Arthur Murray's I already had three children and one of the reasons I said yes to them was because I wanted to be home with the babies in the daytime and do something I could do at night and social ballroom dancing is pretty much done at night right. but um yeah most of my clientele were men and then I would uh, that's how I, I got to be a choreographer because we would go to the big showcases and we'd have to take 20 25 students and do a routine with every one of them and all the different dances so I got really good at putting together routines very quickly and the other instructors would come up and go uh, could you please give me a would you help me with my cha-cha routine? I go, oh, sure, I'll do it for you. No big deal, you know, because I've been dancing since I was a little kid, you know. Right. But um, I got a lot out of Arthur Marie's. Um, it was a wonderful place to learn to dance. And um, they brought in the best instructors in the world to give us our, uh, to check us out on our medals and give us workshops. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a man named Sam Sedano. Who of course. Ohio, the Ohio, Ohio. Ball. Ohio yeah. Star Ball. Mm-hmm. And he was hilarious. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, he was so great. I, he checked me out on my medals. I, I, I got to work with him a bit and uh, a lot of really great people. And, um, I got a, I lot, I, I really got a lot out of Arthur Murray's. I mean, just framing, you know, I think that's the best thing that you get out of ballroom dancing is to learn that, you know, the upper body leads the movement. And I think sometimes people think the feet, everything's in the feet and their upper body isn't doing anything where the, the upper body kind of insti- in, instigates a lot of movement and the feet are just along for the ride or the, mm-hmm. the feet are following the shoulders or the chest. And so ballroom dancers, dancers get that. When I look at Gary McIntyre make his lines, when I look at, uh, um, I'm trying to think who else has had a lot of, Joel Torgerson, straight Joel Torgerson, Robert Cordoba, Brandy yeah. Tobias, yes. now Guilds, Brandy Guilds, uh, oh, all have ballroom uh, training. Uh, Michael Kilbasa. Michael Kilbasa. Beautiful framing and lines. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I tell my guys sometimes, I'll say, you know, you know, I mean, they get that through me. They're getting ballroom through me. They're getting Latin through me. In their West Coast swing, they're getting a lot. They're getting shag moves through me. Um, I, I mean, I do so many different dances, and I've studied and, and become adept at so many different dances that they're getting a lot from me. I think right. even maybe sometimes um, people come to me because – they feel they're not getting everything they need from just taking swing. And 
perhaps it could be that the swing teacher only does swing, you know, like Tom used to say one trick pony. I don't know, but I just know that they're getting that through me and they watch a lot of videos. They might be getting it there, but the teachers that you mentioned are definitely talking about frame and leading with the body. Well, they all have other training, which is important. Yeah. 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 So you've seen West coast swing over the years and you've also seen other dances. Um, West Coast Swing, of course, has evolved a lot over the years. And we're curious to hear your opinion on how you've seen it change and what is your opinion of its evolution? Well, it's all about the music, isn't it? I mean, we dance the music and if the music has a little hip hop flair to it, you're going to put in a little hip hop flair, but we don't want the whole entire dance to be hip hop. And what I've noticed in the last couple of years is sambas. They're extremely popular uh, for West Coast Swing. Mm -hmm. And every time I hear them, I just want to do a Botafogo. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of the tropical house movement music. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen my I've seen Michael Cabasa go into a suavecito while he is dancing swing if it's a samba music, and I'm going, yeah, he 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 hears the music, yeah. So I think it's fantastic to put a little flavor from other dances. I mean, uh, I dance with a guy named Tip West. And in masters and he, uh, I have so much respect for him. He used to be a Lindy hop champion and he was the kind of Lindy hopper that was throwing the girl up in the air and through the legs and around. So, um, when we dance, when we compete in, um, masters division, we throw tricks and I do stuff with him that I, would not necessarily do with or trust to do with anybody else. But when something like Lance Shimon, he could throw me anywhere he wanted to. He knew what he was doing with lists. And tip is the same way. And, you know, if the music's fast or it feels right, we might break into just, you know, just eight beats of of Charleston or a little Balboa, you know, I mean, I think that gives West coast swing flavor, but we don't want to do too much of it or now we're doing lindy hop we're not doing west coast swing anymore i like the little bits of adding um if the music dictates uh hey and i see that and i'm judging i'm going well they're listening to their music so i don't mind that but (laughs) um I have to say this. I do want to see uh what a very dear friend and expert said once she said Carrie, triple is your best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was you, Deborah. Yeah. <laughs> that was you. You said triple is your best friend in West yeah. Coast Swing. And That's I have it. always used that and always told people that Deborah said this, so do it. I still she, believe that. I do too. Mm-hmm. I do too. And I, not only do I want to see a proper triple, I want to see a variety of triples. Absolutely. And any student of mine, including a beginner, knows at least five different kinds of triples right off the bat. Once they get the basic triple down, they're they're learning cross triple, hook triple, right. uh, triple cross, syncopated triple, hook and cross, um, stutter step, which is actually a, a not shag a triple move. but mm-hmm. a shag move. But you know, they I've got beginners here doing that. Once they get their basic triple down, uh, this is what I say to them: um, first of all, um, if you're dancing one dimensional. 
I call it like flat like a pancake and you're just moving straight in and straight out. You look like a beginner. And if mm-hmm. you watch the experts, you notice that they angle. They 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 go from angle to angle. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my things that I love. And I love Robert Royston for this because he's very much into anatomy and mm-hmm. physics and so am I. And I when he speaks, he's speaking to my brain. And I um wrote a book about seven years ago. And uh, I did a lot of research, scientific research. And I came across a thing that the scientists call FA. That stands for fluctuating asymmetry. Mm-hmm. And no athletic endeavor can work without it. Yeah, When you, like you say, you're standing there and you move your shoulders to the right diagonal and the left diagonal or angling corner to corner. Mm-hmm. That would be an example of fluctuating asymmetry. And if you are starting to dance in third position, which I think a lot of, I know Charlotte talks about that and Brandy has talked about that. Um, Buddy says when you're standing there and your feet are apart, like a second position, Buddy will say, what's that foot position? And everybody goes second. And he goes, no, that's called waiting for the bus. and i love that because it is so pedestrian looking and if you want to look like a dancer you Mm got to be in a proper foot position so i like to stand in third position which automatically puts me in a three-dimensional dance pose so when let's 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 talk about this for a second because when we talk about third position third position is something is it's uh terminology that comes from ballet it's not something that is native to West Coast Swing. We use it because we needed words to help talk about what our stance is. So when you talk about third foot position, do you talk about closed third foot position or open third foot position? I It could be closed or slightly open. Okay, it, so both. It, yeah, both. Yeah, okay. And, it, and okay. of course, the feet are not as turned out as much as ballet dancers. We right. don't need to rotate from the hip that much. We're not going to go out there and do bot maws and tendus. But, but we do do passes. When the girls do the one foot spins and they mm-hmm. do that beautiful passe position, mm-hmm. that requires turnout and rotation from the hip. So does a beautiful ronde or a fan. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do teach my girls how to rotate from the hip and, and proper foot position. But if you're starting in third, you're going to have single tracking. You're going to be centered over your foot and you're going to get by na- a natural wind up. So by the time you hit two, your right shoulder will be slightly back. And if you want to do a cross triple there and the guy gives you a sugar tuck, a tuck turn, you're going to be able to pull off three beautiful fan turns right there because you've wound it up so beautifully by being, by just simply starting in third position. And, um, um, I think this makes the difference. This is like, like if you were comparing a Cadillac to an old, Volkswagen or something. This gives girls the advantage. This gives them the look when they're fluctuating their asymmetry. They're going to have more interesting things that they're doing, and and to, you can't be waiting for the bus. You literally have to be in a good foot position, and it's going to be one of the five positions. Right. So obvious, obviously, as a judge, this is um, something that you've looked you look for in oh, uh, yes. West Coast Swing competition. Yes. Um, but so what would you like to see more of? In- I don't want to see anybody pigeon toed knock kneed. <laughs> well, I asked you what would you like to see more of, not less of. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, are you talking about foot position or something else? What would you, well, we've talked about like foot positioning already, right? And okay. How body moves, well, but what arm would you- styling. 
arm styling. I think that's something that girls feel like West Coast Swing has no arm styling. And um, I think it has a lot of opportunity for arm styling. I always call my left arm my style arm because the guy's usually got my right hand. My ink in his anchor hand, and I got that left hand, you know. And if I'm just dangling it, you know what Buddy says: you dangle your arm, somebody will walk up and hand you a banana. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Buddy's got a lot of good stuff. And um, uh, I think, you know, and I t- teach girls how the arm. Okay, there's there's internal arms and there's external arms. And what we want is our arms to move internally. We don't want to just stick our arm out. We want to kind of lift the rib cage, then the elbow, then the wrist, then the hand. So we're basically doing a developé with mm-hmm. our arm. Right. Which looks really pretty. And then if you in it depending on the move, you can follow your arm with your gaze, you know. And um things like that when you look at uh Lisa Picard has lovely arms and she just uh one uh in mad jam first place i believe it was either capital or mad jam they got first place and i tell my girls i said look at her arms look at chantal pianetta's arms look at melissa roots's arms because you can do things with your arms you've got that arm free most mm-hmm. of the time so i like to see more pretty arms and hands mm-hmm. um yeah. uh, and um I, there's another thing that I've, I've been saying for years. And after we get beyond the three T's. Time and uh, teamwork technique. Yeah. Yes. And there, and, and let's say you're judging uh, champions and they've all got the three T's and they're all great dancers. Mm-hmm. What comes after that? What is that little inexplicable little thing that somebody's just got that you just go, well, it's them. It's, you know, and that is to me what I call quality of movement. Mm-hmm. It's the quality of the way they carry their body through space and time to the music. It's, it's not just stepping on the beat. There's a whole lot of melody in between the beat. And so the body becomes like a musical instrument. In a way. Right. And um, that quality of movement, you just you just see somebody move and you can't sometimes you can't put a. Well, you and I can put a finger on it, but most people just know, they just know that something looks really lovely there. They just know that aesthetically it's lovely. And you, you don't have to be a ballerina or have ever studied ballet. It's code that we accept and see something that looks proper versus something that doesn't because, uh, we wouldn't be around if we didn't have that in our genetic code. Uh, if you go back to, I mean, do you want to hear science stuff or am I boring you to tears here? <laughs> you sound uh, great. Keep going. Uh, I mean. Well, uh, primitive man, you know, they didn't have language at first. So they, they had to communicate with a lot of, you know, grunts and moans and, you know, I don't know what right. they, 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 they didn't actually have language yet, but they have, they could make noise. Right. Mm-hmm. But they also had movement, you know, and they, the hunters would come in say, Body language. you know, yeah, imagine that the hunters come in after a day of hunting and there's a fire and everybody's sitting around the fire. And it's just a matter of time before somebody picked up two stones and started banging them together or somebody picked up a stick and started banging on a rock. And there's a little rhythm and the, the men come in and they start kind of bopping up and down and they're they're they're, you know, uh, they're pantomiming, throwing a spear and catching something and dragging it home, right? And what the scientists say is that this is how mate selection was started. Ah. Because the women would watch the guys who moved well and say, I want him. 
he's going to bring home the bacon. <laughs> right. And that would be the guy who had the most fluctuating asymmetry. And so what happens when we walk into a ballroom and we, 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 we kind of scope the ballroom out and we say, oh, there's the California clan over there. Mm-hmm. And oh, I see the Washington, D.C. clan over there. Right. <laughs> you know? We have all these clans, and and then we sort of look. We start looking out, and it catches our our eye, some guy, and you just say, "I'd like to dance with him." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like mate selection. I mean, it, it's there's so many things in our innate nature that's primitive, or I call it being in our genetic code, and that's what makes dance work. And we know it. We know it genetically when we see it done right, because. Nobody could throw a basketball or a football or play tennis if we didn't have it. And dance is an athletic endeavor. Why would it be any different? So I find that kind of stuff interesting. One of the chapters in my book was called Biology in the Ballroom. And it's it's kind of funny, but it's just kind of true, I think. I believe in that stuff. I don't think it's funny um, at all. I think it's it's just (laughs) the same thing how people... You know, during, I don't know, whatever time, even now, when someone looks at someone and they say, oh, I... I think I'm attracted to that person. I think dancing yeah. is the same thing. Hey, you, know? you got happy hormones when you dance. And we, well, you see somebody you know, dance and you in, like the quality of movement. Yeah. Yeah. Quality but everyone's, of movement. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, uh, attracted to or connected to different types of movement from different types of people. Different tribes. Yeah. Right. So exactly. some, some like the hip hop tribe. Or right. The Zook, or the Zook tribe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we've talked a lot on this show about swing content, um, both defining it and identifying it, um, as well as swing character, like kind of to your point about you, you know, it, when you see it, there's a certain kind of movement that we identify with swing versus say Latin or ballet or Zouk. You judge a lot when you're judging, what is it you're looking for that defines this dance, both in terms of content and character? Oh boy, because everybody's, you know, there's so many, everybody's got their own style. I would say that if you really want a breakdown of what really is authentically swing and different types, you take Robert Royston's history of swing. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he says it better than anybody, number one. But from my perspective, what I'm looking for out on the floor when I'm judging is after the three T's, I mean, first, uh, timing is, you know, if they're off time, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> they're kind of off my score sheet if they keep right. it up. I mean, I'll forgive maybe a little bobble here, but if I look and they're still off time, that, that they're not going to the semis. And um, right. so that's very important. But, uh, you know, the quality of movement that makes a good swing dancer um I think it's the feel, the pulsing of the music. Maybe, you know, like your, um, I, Skippy calls it a rolling count. I know that, uh, I've heard Brandy and Robert describe it another way, but you can't just step the music. Mm-hmm. You can't just step on the beat because if you even try to step on the beat, you'll be off time because there's music between the beat and that's where the body moves. Mm-hmm. And when you see someone who's got that, that quality you know that they get it they get the music they get how to move to the music and you see others just trying to be in they're into their feet too much and they're not into their body and that you know so i call that marching Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, they're like marching through the music rather than than dancing through the music. So uh, for me, because I studied with Skippy, that would have a lot to do with rolling count right. or 
or the definition of it that Robert Robert has. He he calls it something else, but he's right on with that. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that some dancers have a feel for the particular song that's being played. They're able to. They're like I call them chameleons. Like Ben Morris is my favorite chameleon. It doesn't I matter agree. what. It yeah. doesn't matter what kind of music mm. you throw at him, or he who he's dancing with. He adapts to mm. everything, and mm. that could be partly because he was a fabulous Lindy, Lindy Hopper, mm. and um, uh, he's had more experience. And the more the more experience, going back to what we were talking about a little earlier, like people like Robert, uh, Kel, I mean Michael Kelbasa. Um, who've had the ballroom, you know, and they identify certain rhythms in the music. And so, because they've had those, they've had samba, they've had rumba, they've had different kinds of dancing. They identify what they're hearing maybe a little bit more than somebody else who just knows swing. Mm -hmm. And they're just kind of trying to march through the music and just, am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They can identify different rhythms and characters within the song. Yes, because they've had more training. Right. Right. That's it. This is yeah. why we say most people that come from other forms of dance that come into West Coast Swing, they, they're successful faster because they understand music and they understand different rhythms and, um, and all things like that. But, but, but let's, um, let's talk about um, masters mm-hmm. um, a little bit. You know, you've been very successful um, in the masters division and, you know, um, Strictly Swings, Jack and Jills. Um, what do you think masters competitors should be doing to be more successful in competition and how might the approach be different in masters than in other divisions? Well, first off, I think they should be taking lessons. You know, I mean, sometimes some of these older (laughs) guys, it's like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. They they're dancing the same way they did 20 years ago. Yeah, I know because I danced with them twenty years ago. I would have, I would I, agree with you. I would say that the the followers take lessons a lot. Masters uh-huh, followers take uh-huh, lessons. Yep. It's the leaders that don't. Would uh-huh. you say agree with that? Yep. Okay. I do. And um and and here's and I would love to give a masters seminar. I I actually have masters come up to me and say, I want to take a lesson from you, and I want you to teach me how to win a masters contest. And I said. Well, that's easy. I can do that. <laughs> okay, but a, a lot of it goes back to good old foot position. Um, we have a saying that we say in ballroom. It is that the position of your feet affects every inch of the rest of your body. I say that all the time. I say mm-hmm. how you place your feet is what gives you good body action and good good leg action. So, yes, you know um, what I mean. And I you do are, know what you mean. You are one of the best teachers I know. And you're, you're very welcome, Deborah. I, I, I worship you. I think you're amazing. I sit in on your classes sometimes in the back. You don't even know I'm there. I just like to listen. (laughs) I like to listen to you. It's all good. Good stuff. You mentioned something interesting because I want, because I want you to go back to that. You said that you would love to teach a master seminar, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So I want to tell you something interesting. Robert and I taught a master's seminar at Rose City Swing and 26 women showed up and we had two men. Oh my goodness. And it was Robert? Me and Robert. Boy, did they miss out. Whoa. Why do you think male masters don't take lessons? And let me just explain to you that in the master's class, we did not just talk about, um, you know, swing and dancing and how to be successful in competition. We talked about how, to keep your bodies mobile. Cause as we get older, 
your bodies don't move the same way as younger people. So we have to do specific things to keep us more mobile so that we can be more successful in competition as we get older. Um, so why do you think the males or the men aren't taking classes or lessons or workshops? Well, they're obviously afraid. They're of afraid what? of love being, making the full, you know, feeling foolish or feeling inadequate or, or they simply, well, what I, what, what I see and when I was at University of Utah Dance Department, it is a teacher's school. It's a teaching mm-hmm. school. And one of the things that they stressed, because we were all going to go out and be dance teachers, is how not to hurt people. Right. So we had to go in and work on cadavers with the pre-med students. And we're in there, and it's fascinating. And you're mm-hmm. you're lifting, uh, you know, and the knee bones and working tendons and seeing how joints work. And it's really, really cool. And then you look down and you see red toenail polish and then it gets you what you're doing. And you go, oh my gosh, because you're so absorbed in it. It's like just muscles and tendons and you don't realize that that was person, but I did do that. And, and it was amazing. And they stress so much how not to hurt people. And I go into people's classes and watch, and I am appalled sometimes at what they're doing to anyone's hip joint, knee joint, ankles, you know, um, and Zook, oh my gosh, let's not even go there. I'd call the chiropractor right now. Um, uh, but I think that, and I've worked in old folks' homes. I've, you know, done a lot of kind, different kind of teaching. I've worked with Down syndrome kids. I've had a gal with a prosthesis leg. I had a gal who um, got in a car accident and got stem cell damage in her brain and they took her child away from her and after a year of me working with me and she got her child back so i've had a lot of really rewarding things you know because i i feel like i know what i'm doing with people's bodies and i think that, that comes foot position with your toes turned out gives you balance and that is especially important for older people because they tend to lose their balance because you know your bones start to break down your bone density breaks down when you get older we actually shrink we i used to be almost five foot six and now i'm five foot five (laughs) and i'm standing as tall as i can but (laughs) so you first of all you know the way you teach deborah is going to be very good for older people Mm -hmm. and and they need to know that because i think maybe just maybe they they might have gone into a class and tried to attempt to do some some acrobatic move mm-hmm. at, because there's all age of people in the classes. And, you know, maybe they got hurt or maybe they got frightened or maybe they think they have to do that. I don't know. But they there needs to be a basic way to teach all people to protect their bodies, not just masters. Right. No, I totally agree with that. I just think we have a we have a, a problem where um, masters leaders don't seek out lessons it's very they don't they don't take as many privates or workshops whereas i think it's just in general you know males and and followers followers probably take more lessons um than was leaders it a do. free was it a free class that came with their event ticket or was it an no. extra class no extra it, was class? A, it was an intensive okay well you know older people are on re- in retirement and they're on a limited budget sometimes and they it, it costs that's why they don't go to a lot of events you don't see oh i totally disagree with that um, older people they, are in retirement and this is the the time of their life where they spend they money they have go, disposable income 
They masters, do not go out of state. They do not. I'm telling you right now, the masters do not travel all over the United States like the younger people do because the younger people will put ten, six people in a room. They go to the grocery store, buy cheap food. Um, older people, you know, they, they're, I know because I travel more than any of them do and I do not see them at all the events I go to. I see them at certain events. They don't travel as much. They're on limited income. And, you know, perhaps there should be a senior discount for, um, you know, I, I mean, just five dollars for seniors, and also that makes them feel special. I don't know. I, I'll I, agree I, with I, the discount for them, but yeah. I, I, I will completely disagree with you that they don't travel as much. I travel more than you do, and I see masters everywhere. And but I they're think different, that, but they're, it's regional. You'll well, see certain and, and, masters yeah. here, but not the and same I, ones everywhere you go. And I think the reason why it's not the same ones everywhere we go is because masters feel like they're an afterthought. And they'll definitely go to their local event that they can drive to, but they're not going to fly to an event as they would, would, you know, the way other levels normally would because they feel that they're an afterthought master. I, I think it used to be that way, Deborah. I think, uh, and I even felt that way maybe uh, seven or eight years ago. But there are very, there are certain event directors that are very kind to masters. John Wheaton, for one, he caters to them. We can't, added, we can't decide and, how masters are being treated by one event director. I'm only telling you no, this because, I'm telling you because I have 20, 20 it, masters have already phone called me about how they feel about okay. going to events. I just had I, a phone call about it yesterday with well, Susan Brown. I I don't feel that way at all, but You're you know, a pro. judge and all that. But um, I I think it's getting better. I think it was more that way a few years ago, but I think I'm very proud of a lot of the event directors who've really come around and not just put the masters Saturday morning or afternoon on Thursday. They're putting us at prime time. Even the mm-hmm. U S open put uh masters eight o'clock Saturday. That's right. That's because Saturday of, night. That's and because that of people like myself and other people talk to event directors and, and are advocates for uh, the master's division. I don't know if you look at the master's division page on Facebook. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. I do okay. that all the time. Right. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you very much. I, I wish everybody would stand up for us like you do, Deborah. Thank you. Well, it's I'm not just standing up for you because, it, I, I, you know, it's people ask me to. I'm standing up because we're, we're all important. We shouldn't just be focusing on just juniors or just focusing on just champions or just focusing on just. Well, there are there are events who that are just lean toward being a little bit recognizing the masters more than others. And I think sure. that those events are where the masters go, just like there are events that that really cater to the juniors. Now, there's another subject that bothers me mm-hmm. is that we're not educating the juniors and having more workshops for them. And there are certain events that don't allow juniors. They don't want them there. And when I ask why they say, because it's an adult party and we don't think that a man, a kid should be around. Well, listen, said, let me, let me stop you for a moment. I'm in agreement with some event directors that choose uh, to do that because right now we have a big situation of um, lots of lurkers in, in the swing dance community. And it's not, yes. And, and I'm not saying that juniors shouldn't be present at a, at a a swing event, but I am saying that there is a time when they shouldn't be in the ballroom unless, unless chaperones by an adult. And I think that's absolutely right. Right. So I think event directors, rather than having 
liability or or an issue come about, they choose to say that we don't want kids. And you you can't yeah. fault them for it. No, and, and no. Don't make it like that all events are like that because basically kids are allowed at almost every event to carry yeah. Lucas. Every event um, has kids at it. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they're not allowed. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that, um, of course, they're allowed. And um, I, I, I think, okay, Sarah Van Drake did a lovely thing last summer at uh, 4th of July. Yes, she she did. had a kid. She had a kid's boot camp and she right. got Benji involved and, and the kids were sh- and Robert, Robert came in and did a a workshop where he just talked to them about manners and Mm -hmm. etiquette and Mm -hmm. how they, how they should respect themselves and others. And it was, he had their rapt attention. It was the best thing I've ever heard. And I just think that if they're going to be at our events at all, they should have etiquette and they should be running around the halls and the parents should be watching their kids. And, you know, that should be a given. I just think that, you know, um, you know, we could just maybe donate an hour here and there to a kids' workshop. You know, we, we do. It, so th- that's yeah. the that. So see, that's the beef that masters have. Like I said, we donate time to juniors who have parents who can pay for them uh-huh. to be at events. My parents paid for me to go to dancing school. Nobody donated money for me to go to competition when I was a kid. My parents paid for it. Okay. That's number one. Number two, we have masters who you, you just said that they are some of the, most of them are retired and they have limited, um, income. Well, why aren't we giving some stuff to masters then? Cause I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of masters to me is not, you know, 60 and over masters to me is like 40 and up. These are people that are adults that have been doing it a long time. They have disposable income. They don't stick 25 people in a room and they're important at events. And a lot of times we go to events and a master's competition is during say, or a master's workshop is during an all-stars workshop or an, or a master's competition is, is not always at prime time or it's during an all-stars workshop. Masters is being run during an all-stars workshop. So not everybody is in the ballroom. It's just, we, we have to recognize that everyone is important and we can't single out one group and show favoritism. And that's kind of what's been happening in the swing dance community in general, favoritism. That's what I'm trying to say. I would add to that. Um, I think you're right, Carrie, that there are some events out there that are doing a good job offering educational opportunities or competitive opportunities for masters, right? We just had uh, a Capital Swing here right. in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. They do a great job. And Deborah hosted a get together for masters. Oh, they had thank that you. track. That was great. Right. That like, was great. yeah. And it was, it was, <laughs> an, I think, a great experience. And you have a lot of masters who come out to that. At the same time, I agree with Deborah in that I feel like the trend is more events focusing on or creating an atmosphere that's oriented towards a younger audience. So if I look at some of the newer events that are coming out, and and I have several friends who are masters, and lots of my students here in the Bay Area who are masters, and so I talk to them about their experience, and they often come to events. Some of the the hotter events they'll go, and one, there's not that many masters competitors there to begin with, and two, they just feel like they're the the old kid, you know, they're the old person at this young kid's party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an atmosphere that makes them feel comfortable mm-hmm. or makes them feel included 
all the time. And I'm, it's not that the events are, are, you know, intentionally making them feel bad, but there's a different kind of event that's arising that is focused on the younger competitors and a younger fun vibe. Um, again, not in every case, but there are some of them. And I'm curious, Carrie, because you said you feel like the tide is turning and actually things are improving. So I'm curious what you think people like John Wheaton or others are doing well to create a good environment or welcoming environment for masters dancers that other events could consider. I've got a very good example for you. Uh, it's called generational. And, um, I think Phoenix started it where you have to have 20 year difference in mm-hmm. the ages. Mm-hmm. So you get the masters all out there dancing with, you know, basically people under the age of 40 and, and you get, um, you know, even some juniors out there. And, uh, now it's kind of growing. Uh, John Wheaton has it at Monterey. Um, they, I, I know they have it up at, uh, Easter because, um, a very nice fellow from Texas texted me today and asked me if I would do the generational with him. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm not, Oh darn it. I'm not going to uh, Easter. But so I think that's a new, I think that's a new event for Easter. Um, the generational Jack and Jill, uh, oh, and we have it at uh, Jack and Jillarama. Oh my gosh, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really a big event everywhere it's put on, on that I've been in it. Um, it's got, they have to have two heats. It's yeah, so but how does this so, help them? For me, the generational because you've got doesn't really help the masters. It helps the juniors. Because you've got different generations dancing with each other. And you've got, you've got another event that includes older people. And you've got the young people, you know, wanting to dance with the older people. I mean, I... I probably got asked to dance at the Phoenix. I probably had six different guys, including Benji, asked me to dance with him, and I couldn't because I already had a partner that killed me. I, I couldn't dance with him. But um, it's uh, you know it's very popular, and I think that the I, from what I've talked to, it makes us feel really great that okay. people are going, "Oh, will you dance a generational with me?" I mean, and several different people ask, and they're all trying to get masters. Mm-hmm. to to dance with them in this contest and i think i think it's a wonderful idea and I, it's growing i think I, it's a good idea i think you're right in that if nothing else it one gives another opportunity for masters competitors to compete and be seen mm-hmm. and two yes. i really like the idea that it connects the generations because mm-hmm. another thing i want to ask you you know we talked about how a lot of the masters are not necessarily in class, not necessarily working on their craft. Some of them are. And honestly, a lot of them, and I'm blessed because as we said earlier, a lot of the masters women are in class and are mm-hmm. really quite good. Yourself included, Carrie. Um, Thank you. you know, I'm friends with like Lori Schaefer. I just danced with Catherine Monjo, uh, Gail Jacobson. These are great women who are great to dance with, but there's definitely an ageist stereotype, um, or an ageist bias where People assume, oh, you're older and you probably don't dance as well. Um, right. And, and when we see the people out there in masters who don't work on their dance, it only reinforces that belief bias that we have. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how we can counter that bias and at the same time also help masters to improve so that more people want to dance with them, regardless of generation, regardless of age. 
Well, leave it to the dancers to fix a problem that is a problem with society in general. Yeah, yay for dancers, because older people are treated horribly in society as a rule, everywhere they go. I mean, and I think of the the state of the assisted care facilities and older folks home and the way they're treated. And it's on the news all the time that they're just drugged up so they don't have to deal with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a society problem. And I am proud that our dance community is trying to fix a a problem in society, not just dancing. I mean, old people are, you know, it's sad. Let's, let's, Let's change that word to older people. Older right. people. I was going to say, yeah. not all of them are Okay, I'm old. one of them. I'm an older person. Older, yeah. older is better than old. Catherine Monjo taught me that. And by the way, Catherine Monjo was the one that hosted uh, the Master's I Party at Capitol. She's yeah. so cute. Mm-hmm. She's just adorable. And thank you for doing that, Deborah. the mm-hmm. party and, and everything. Um, so, you know, good for the, dan- good for the dance community to, to try and fix a problem that is just, it's universal. And I think that this is a great start. People like you having this broadcast and mm-hmm. us talking about it and, um, you know, the diff- now we're adding more contests um, for masters like the generational and we're giving them, we're not trying to hide them in the middle of the afternoon. We're giving them prime time. Um, uh, I think we're doing, I think we're doing well. I've always been treated well in dance. I've, I'm treated better right, as an older person. I'm treated better in the dance world than I am in public. Well, you know? right, you're but also you can, a professional. Yeah, you and can't compare yourself. Right, you can't. You're kind this of the is exception. Why, <laughs> right, you're the exception to the rule, Carrie, because you're you're a you're a traveling master who also happens to be a pro who judges. So you're going to get treated a little bit differently than normal masters do. You know, it's it's so. Well, I have to tell you that sometimes I get treated very badly by the masters, and it hurts my feelings a okay. lot. Well, well, that well, that's obviously something. Um, that needs to be fixed, which is why this whole... You know, they, they've actually posted on that site you're talking about that people like me and Jeannie DeGuider should not be allowed to dance in Masters because okay. we're professionals, and that's not fair. Well, hold on. <laughs> we're getting to the question then, because here's yeah. here's the deal. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm glad you you, uh, you said this. So yesterday I, I had a phone call again from um, you know Susan Brown, and she brought up a, a really interesting point where um, she she is a master and she's also all-star level, okay? And well-deserved to right. be there. She's Absolutely. a beautiful dancer. Absolutely. But she was been told by some professionals uh, that she shouldn't be, she shouldn't do both. Um, and she was like, well, you know, we don't have levels in masters. So what do you think about having levels in masters. And before you answer that, I think it's important to understand that the reason why she was feeling, you know, um, taken aback about not being, uh, able to do all stars was because she, she finally took a video and watched the judges when she was dancing in all stars. And she saw that the judges completely ignored her and walked right and walked right by her because she's a master. Oh, Yes. And that happens a lot. I talk about it a lot. Um, judges need to learn to look past age because age should have nothing to do with what they, because, you know, nobody wants to follow pets and children, yet they allow children and adults to dance together in a competition and go against two adults. And the child usually does well, full well knowing that she doesn't move as well or he doesn't move as well as an adult. They're not fully 
you know, formed in their movement and in their body and all that stuff. And they get kudos because they're young and they're cute. And now we have a master who dances really well in all stars and they get passed up. So do you think masters should be leveled? Um, well, first of all, Susan's not the only one. There's several uh, masters, yes. beautiful women. Mindy Halliday is yes. fabulous. And you know what? I have watched her blossom in the last year, just mm-hmm. turn into a all-star champion looking dancer. Mm-hmm. She has turned into one. And um, I think that's just inappropriate of people to say hurtful things like that to anyone. I've had very, very hurtful things said to me and it Ditto. hurts. It really does hurt. And it's not right. It's not appropriate. And who appointed them dance god of the floor, right? Right. You know, I mean, come on. It's not appropriate. And uh, I'll answer your question now about leveled masters. We don't have enough masters to do it. I disagree. At most places. At most places. We have a ton of masters. We just don't have enough masters maybe in one place. You know, there's a lot of people out there who can dance masters, but they don't want to admit they're 50. And if maybe Mm. if we had a pro masters division, maybe they'd come out and dance. Mm. But they won't come out and dance because they're afraid their student's going to beat them or something, you know. Mm -hmm. They're going to lose face. Mm -hmm. But we do need to have a pro division. If the pros that are 50 and over would come out and dance in it we could have a pro division but they won't they won't mm-hmm. yeah i think that i think you're right i don't i don't know if there's enough to at, at a lot of events to warrant level but listen I, there were think, 120 masters at capital swing for the masters party at capital because yeah, capital does a lot to, to they didn't compete not all of them compete there were 30 and, and women capital and 10 also men. does a great job of of appealing to and and catering Mm -hmm. to masters so Mm -hmm. that's that's one event where you could do it i'm just saying there's a lot of events you know boogie is probably another where you have enough but there are a lot of events where you wouldn't have enough to if you had separate divisions they'd all go straight to finals right um you know but at the same time i can't help but wonder if having multiple divisions would make people more comfortable jumping in because i know some not as competent masters dancers who don't want to compete against (laughs) You know, the people can, like can Carrie I say something or Lori about or whoever. What you just said. Uh, What's you that? know, mm. and Deborah will appreciate this. People are going to kvetch no matter what. What a good word. Right? <laughs> right. They are. They are. Yeah. They're going to complain and whine and be yep. whiny babies about, I didn't win. The judge didn't like right. me. I was better than her and she got the trophy. This kvetching goes on and with everybody and it's not going to stop. And I guarantee you that if you separate the masses, they're still going to, you know, whine or kvetch, kvetch about mm-hmm. things. It's just the nature of, of the dance. I mean, come on. I, 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 I heard a funny thing. It's a dancers talk about three things, mm-hmm. dance shoes, dance conventions, and other people's dancing. <laughs> That's true. It is true. And they're going to kvetch themselves right into a, a hole because, mm-hmm. you know, no, it, it, I, what I'm saying is sometimes you, you just can't make everybody happy. And no matter what you do, there's going to be unhappy people. I agree with they're that. Gonna be, they're sure. going to be unhappy with the judges, unhappy with they didn't win, mm-hmm. unhappy with, you know, I was better than them. And, you know, mm-hmm. I hear it at every level. And I don't, I, I, I just really feel right now that at most of the places I've been, don't have enough masters to separate it. And I'll give you an example. Last year, at Boogie by the Bay, which used to be a huge uh, masters event, uh, they were going to um, 
they were going to take out the uh, masters strictly. And somebody said, oh, please, please don't do that. So they had never had sophisticated strictly at Boogie ever. Mm-hmm. And they decided they would have one so they could combine it with Masters so they wouldn't have to get rid of Masters strictly because in the last couple of years, there simply weren't enough. Now, to add to that, I have to say, and maybe you can help me with this, Deborah, we can have an event where there's a lot of Masters in the Jack and Jill and very few, very few in the Strictly. Why won't they couple up? Why won't they pair up? I'm going to tell you it. why. It's the same reason why I posted on Facebook. Did you read that post that I posted on Facebook? About strictly? No, that I said that the masters travel to events and don't dance with each other. They're worried about dancing with everyone else except each other. And the only reason there are a couple of couples that do really well in strictly because these are the masters that dance with everybody and each other. You Good get point. The- Right. Point. So the, this is why I said masters have to have camaraderie with each other. You have to build relationships with each other off the dance floor so that you want to dance with each other on the dance floor. But you guys, and when I say you guys, I'm being, I'm generalizing, you travel and instead of like having camaraderie with each other, you're all worried about dancing with the next 20 year old, the next 18 year old, the next champion, the next, this one, the next, that one. And then when you guys dance together in masters, you dance terrible together because you never dance with each other socially. <laughs> Not me. Right, right before the masters competition, I, I go into the ballroom a half hour early and I look for everybody with a number on their back. If they look like an older gentleman and they have a number on their back, I go running up to them. Are you doing masters? Dance with me. I try really hard to dance with that's everybody. Not, I understand that. But the point is, is you shouldn't try very hard to dance with everybody a half hour before your competition. Well, you that's should, when they got their numbers on the back. Let no, no, no. But what I'm saying is, is you, I don't know you, who they are if they don't have a number on their back. But you guys don't hang out and dance with each other in general. This is why you don't know who they are. If you were spending time with each other at events, socializing with each other and dancing with each other, you wouldn't have to be downstairs a half hour before looking for someone's number. I don't have to be downstairs an hour before looking for well, a Well, I do. I do because mas- the, the masters conglomerate in a regional way. I'm not like I never go to Florida. I don't go to any events in Florida. And I can guarantee if I went to Florida, I there would be so many masters that I've never seen in my life and I don't know them. Now, in California, I know them all. It's mm-hmm. very regional. You don't see... All the same masters going to all the different events. They just don't. They stay in a more region like the Midwest stays in the Midwest. The Texans stay in Texas. The Floridians have enough events in Florida that they stay there. So it's a regional problem. Well, other competitors are starting to have that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just with the 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 prominence and, and birth of all these new events, there's so many, like, I don't have to leave the West Coast. There are 18, 19 events. Well, mm-hmm. that too. Right. But there's, um, there's 18, 19 events just between San Diego and Vancouver right. that mm-hmm. we're starting to get more regionalism. So I don't think that's unique to Masters. And yet I know a lot of my peers on the West Coast. So I don't think the geography or the lack of traveling is a limiting factor. Um, you mean you know a lot of peers on the East Coast? I don't know a lot of my peers on the East Coast. You don't. Okay. I know a lot on the West Coast because gotcha. I travel there. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, I'm just saying for masters people, they should at least know their peers within their region and they should be comfortable with them and familiar with them. And, and like you said, Deborah, have camaraderie with them. Right. Um, Look, I, I teach a lot of, of, of masters here in, in Colorado and a, and a lot of my masters, they travel. 
they travel. They don't just stay in Colorado and partially because we don't have, we only have three events uh, here. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think the people that the masters that don't travel are probably the California masters because they don't have to. Right, right. And maybe the Florida, you know, masters don't have to, but everywhere else they kind of do like Midwest and, you know, Texas and, you know, people have to travel. And, and I don't if think they, if they go where I go. I know them. And, and, you know, and I relish, there are people, I have so many good friends that are masters, you know, like Sumadata in mm-hmm. from Texas. And we've got, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've got Denver people, mm-hmm. uh, the cu- cute couple, Agoga and, Goga uh, and Claude. Uh, her, mm-hmm. Claude. And every time I see them, I just run up my hug. I mean, I'm so happy to see them because right. I see them maybe three or four times a year. Mm-hmm. And I have these, these regional friends that I see at certain events because they, they kind of tend to go to the same event. So I know when I'm going to get to see Suma and I know when I'm going to see Goga and, mm-hmm. and I know when I'm going to see, uh, you know, Mindy and, um, and, and Susan Brown, I, I miss her. She used to live in California and I saw her oh, all the time. Mm-hmm. I miss her so much. Um, she's a lovely gal, so talented. I mean, I'm, I'm just a, a fan, a huge fan of her dancing. And so, I mean, I try and I have to say that I think some of my most special friends, Special, mm-hmm. special, closest friends that I have are masters that I've met in different cities that I, and I try to see them as much as I can. I adore them because we kind of have, we, we have a special kind of camaraderie that, you know, it's, it's, I guess we're the same clan, <laughs> clan of age or something, but we, we really have a camaraderie when we see each other. We're very happy to see each other. And I think that, um, what you're doing is really important. You're trying to bring uh, masters together more. This is what I'm hearing you say. You're yes. trying to bring them together, and and you were wonderful at Capitol. That was absolutely wonderful. You came into the party and you said, "Hey, you know, hey everybody," and you were well, happy listen, to see I, us. And- right, of course. Listen, I try. I said this on another podcast where, like, the masters were like when I first came into the swing community, they were like it. They were the people that I wanted to go dance with. They were the people that I wanted to like be around. Like, you know, they were more mature and they were more experienced and more knowledgeable and, and, and I have utmost um, respect for them. And I feel that, and and also too, like one day I'm going to be a master and I want a place for me. I want there to be a place for me to be, you know, I don't want there to be no place for masters to go to, to hang out to, to be around friends and all, and all that stuff. I think it's important for us to, to, you know, we're all important. It doesn't matter what age we cannot just focus on one age group. We're all important because here's what's going to happen. What's going to happen. All the masters are going to be gone one day. And now we're just going to focus on the the juniors and the the twenty somethings, yeah, because they make a good living. Yeah, but we we do respect our elders. I mean, look at Carlito; he's revered. Of he's revered. He is. And Jack of Jack and Annie was revered. We used to fight over who could dance with Jack. Right, but we can't just revere two people. No, I know, but we do we do respect our elders, and um, and um, and I think it's getting better all the time. And and let me ask you something, Deborah: Would you compete in masters when you're of the age? Would you do it? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. 
I mean, um, because if people like you and Lorraine Baldovi, who's now a, ma- a master age, mm-hmm. would get into masters, then the masters guys your age would come in. Right. And so, could get a, we could get a professional division. No, and I, I, I totally agree with you because this kind of happened many, many years ago, like for sophisticated. Like I was the first person to compete in sophisticated at the U.S. Yeah. Open yeah. Um, with Robert. And I thought, wow, this would like open the door and, and nobody has um, ventured in. I'm not sure why. I mean, it would be nice to have a, a division for professionals, you know, sophisticated division or whatever, a master's division with like top professionals. Like if they wanted to compete, they can, or, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't have an answer, um, for that. Yeah. Well, it's growing all the time. And I think I'm positive about it. I think it's getting better all the time. Um, but you know, I, like I say, masters are people like everybody else and they're the same as everybody else. And the complaints that you get from masters, you know, you get the same complaints from novice people who say nobody wants to dance with me because I'm a novice. I mean, I hear that all the time. It's just, you know, the convention, convention over and over again with Mm -hmm. everyone. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's just the way human beings are. Um, I, I really can't single out masters as saying they're the only ones that get neglected because newcomers and novice people and any anybody under uh, all star sometimes feels like they, nobody wants to dance with them. I, I, don't, I don't know dance. if I would. I don't, I don't know if I would agree with that because I've newcomers heard, and heard. novice have like 120 people at a comp. You know, in 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 a division. I mean, they I've have heard. plenty of people that they could hang out with. I've heard advanced people say that all stars don't want to dance with us. You know, and the and I've heard and I've heard and I've, <laughs> so, heard, and I've heard and I've heard all stars not not dance with masters like there's there's true, a little bit of true. an uh, yeah there's a yeah, bit of an, just, an elitist kind of way of dealing yeah, with things yeah and but you know go ahead I think you're making people aware of it and I think that's good because probably people were just not thinking about it now you got them thinking about it that's good well and the responsibility is on both sides right so. Right. You know, yes, we're, we're countering sort of, uh, the, the ageist perspective of our society and trying to correct that within our community. So people that should know that there are, first of all, the masters people are great people. So regardless of their ability to dance, you should be wanting to dance with them just like everybody else. Um, like Deborah said, they're important too. Um, then you should also know that the, there's a lot of great masters dancers that you should be yes. able to dance with yeah. because of their yeah. dancing. Um, so there's that part. But on the other side, like you said, Carrie, you know, the same problem with a lower level dancer that, you know, higher level dancers don't want to dance with them. I do feel like there is a responsibility on masters to continue working on their dance so that, like you said, they're not hurting people or they can, they can create a, a, a safer, more comfortable, more enjoyable experience for their partner, because I would hate for people to go ask, you know, finally be like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to ask this master to dance. And they keep asking masters to dance and then having them pull on them or, you know, the master is not uh, leading them on time or whatever it is. I mean, same problems any other dancer of any other age may have. But I would hate for people to, to have their their preconceived notions about masters be confirmed by their experience. And the fact that some of the, you know, the fact, Deborah, that you did a workshop and there were 26 women and only mm-hmm. three men. I mean, 
you, we can talk about money, but are you telling me that all the women have money and the men don't? I mean, that's right. not that's not yeah. a money exactly. issue. Yeah. That's right. a, no, it's not. Not investing in your dance, and I no, agree I'm with you, just, Carrie. I, I was think just there, saying that there might is... be a draw. Might sure, draw sure. Them, and I don't know. Right, right. If know. money weren't an issue, absolutely. Um, and I agree with you, Carrie. I think, th- uh, in my experience teaching, the most fragile egos I've worked with are older men. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think it's part identity. I think it's part, um, just, I know, like with my own dad, like just becoming more mindful of the fact that you're getting older and you can't do what you used to. Um, right. I think it's hard. I, uh, absolutely. Um, but I do think there's a responsibility on masters to continue working on their dance just as you have, right? What was your experience leaving the scene for 12 years and then coming back? And having to jump um, into the pool again. Well, I, you know, Phil Adams was the head judge at um, City of Angels when City of Angels first started out. And I said, uh, you know, Phil, I, you know, I'm sitting at a table and everybody's competing and I just feel like joining the party. Where should I compete? And he looks up my thing and he says, Carrie, he says, your professional points are too old, but I'll let you compete in advance. And so I said, okay. So I competed in advance and I had, I drew three young guys in the rotation and they all acted like, oh, I got the old lady. I mean, the, you could just tell the attitude was just, they didn't want to dance with me. So I, I didn't do it again until I went to Michigan Classic. <laughs> I went to Michigan Classic, I think two years ago. And, you know, Patrick Plagens was there and he's a master and he was dancing in advance and it, it's a smaller event. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to dance in advance because there's a lot of people like me dancing in advance and I can, I have permission to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I danced in, in advance and I placed. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, you know, Doug Rosa, 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 he comes out and he starts getting ready to do this big thing, this big contest. And all of a sudden, everybody's pushing on me, and they go, Carrie, go out there, go out there, you're in the top gun. And I go, what? What's the top gun? <laughs> well, everybody who placed in, you know, the division does the top gun. Well, when I went out there, I realized it was like the golden ticket that he used to run in California. And I knew what the golden ticket was. And I go, oh, no, I am going to be the first one to get kicked out. This is going to be so embarrassing. So I, I, I get it. I get in this thing and I draw this guy, this Aussie from Australia. And he's so cute. And the first song was a rhythm and blues. And I go, I look at him and I go, ah got this so went out there and we just and the audience was there was another couple on the other side that was really young and i i was sure that we were going to be eliminated and the audience was loving what i was doing to the music because it's my kind of music and you know we got in Mm -hmm. and uh so then they did the, the next round and we look at each other and we go, we'll get, we'll get thrown out with this one. I go, I know, I know we will be, it's fine with me. At least we didn't get the first one to thrown out. So we go on the second round and we make it again. We make it again. And the masters were just screaming because I am the oldest person in the whole Top Gun thing. I'm mm-hmm. the only master out there. And they're just going, yeah, you go carry on. And I can't, even describe to you how that made me feel versus the experience that I had 
<laughs> at the other, you know, the other right. one. And we made it all the way to the fourth round. We were in the final eight. And, and every time we'd get back in, this guy would look at me and he'd go, I can't believe we flipped him there. He's still here. <laughs> and I'd go, oh, no. <laughs> no. And it was just, that was one of the, the nicest things that ever happened to me. And my whole experience uh, with uh, the the magic markers, they're called, the, the, the right. just lovely, lovely people that run that event. Doug Rosar is a magnificent uh event director um my experience was so good at that event and it, it just made me think well maybe i ain't so old that, uh, after all and i can still got a little juice left there you know and they, it just it just two entirely different experiences and um i wanted to touch on one thing that you said just a few minutes ago because i wanted to clarify it um i did not say the masters were hurting people i said dance teachers were hurting people Oh, I said gosh. I would walk. I said I would walk into classrooms and see teachers that were doing things to people's ankles, knee joints, hip joints, backs. Uh, and then I made the comment about Zook, call the chiropractor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I feel that teachers need to know a little bit about anatomy, and especially like Deborah says, when she's working with masters, she's very aware of what they need in terms of having good foot position so they can balance better. For one thing, so right. that's what I said. I and I heard you say, you know, no, no, masters aren't hurting people. You know, any any. Uh, division can yank on girls, right. any any of them. Yeah, yeah. But, that, um, that was just my point. It's just that, you know, regardless of your age, if you want people to dance with you, um, you don't want to create a negative experience for them. Right. 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 So we need to teach right. people not to do that. Was there, did, was there anything you had to do jumping back in to update your dance or to yeah. adjust oh, yeah. your dance? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I study all the time. I practice and I study. And um, and when I go, one of the perks of being a judge, I did, uh, I think I judged judged and taught or just judged at uh, 20 events last year. Mm-hmm. And one of the perks is that if you're working an event, you can go into any of the workshops you want for free pretty much. You know, yeah. so um, uh, there's certain people that I will go in and take classes from, and I do. I take advantage of those perks, and I practice at home, and I work on myself, and I, you know, I teach uh, lady styling classes uh, here. I've been teaching, uh, you know, lady styling in uh, Orange County for 30 years, and um, so that's that. You know, when you're teaching, you're working on yourself. Because you have to present sure. it to them, and you have right. to really break it down and think about how do I make this look good? How do I make it correct? So teaching is the best practice and keeping up with your skills for me. So yeah, I'll always work on my dancing. And and Deborah knows that when you, you've been uh, trained in ballet and jazz and you go into the bar and you spend, you know, 45 minutes to an hour at the bar before you're even allowed to dance across the floor. Now, swing dancers have an entirely different take on going to the bar before they dance, you know, right. than we did. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I mean, I had a ballet teacher that if she came in the room, you know, she'd, she'd come in the room, you know, like about 10 minutes early. And if everybody wasn't on the floor stretching, she'd kick them out of class. Oh, yeah, for sure. And if they were, if they were standing, you know, talking, she'd mm-hmm. go get out. She right. get out. And when I come in this room and you're not working, it tells me that you're not serious. You don't want to be a dancer. You want to gossip in the corner. Okay, go do it out and I'll get out of my class next time you'd be here. Whenever you walk it, you want to come early, you better be early stretching. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, that's the way we think, you know, we, we can't not think uh, uh, any other way when you've been trained like that. You have to prepare. Right. For sure. 
You've been great on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. I yeah, am thank you. flattered. Thank you for taking the time. Flattered beyond words, and I am so uh, extremely uh, respectful of you and what you're doing. And you do a magnificent job on this show. I've been listening to them, and they're they're just great. Everybody <laughs> out there, listen to all of these podcasts. They are magnificent, and the people on them are. You learn things about these people that you never knew before, and it's fascinating. So listen to all of them. Thank you, and Carrie. Thank. You're welcome, and thank you for sharing your time with me. I'm I'm very, very, very flattered. So, thank Carrie, you. if people want to um, contact you or reach you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, yeah, I'm pretty easy. I'm CarrieLucas.com. There you and, go. And uh, my number's all over. I'm on Facebook. You can message me. My I'm not, I'm not shy about pulling myself putting my cell phone out there. It's all over the internet. My yeah. CarrieLucas.com on my uh, Facebook site, and I'd love to. And I have uh, practice videos that I'll send to anyone for free. I have some little like I take I do a little film clip after my classes on Wednesday night at the press box, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know. Uh, I send them to people. They say, oh, help me, but they're in another state. I say, well, would you like this little clip of me, of my, uh, you know, the uh, roundup of my class, and I've got some nice lady styling and some men styling, and I send them out to people, you know, I'll just send it to them. So if they need help, uh, it doesn't cost anything. Just contact me and let me know what you need. And sometimes I've been known to even make a special little video clip for people on a certain thing that they want. So if I have time, I'll do that too. That's awesome. And it's, and it's free. So, yeah, well, thank you for asking. About of course. About yeah. that. I appreciate it. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us, you can post a comment on our website. You can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me at any time through our website, thenakedtruthwcs.com, or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our newsletter, or follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review. Over on iTunes, it helps us to spread the word. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the Naked Truth. I love the music that Skype does when it's calling. (laughs) So peaceful. I start like jumping around. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) When you just did that, it sounded like, what's that game show? Uh, uh, Jeopardy? No, more like Price is Right? Price is Right. Price is Right? I think it's okay. the Price is Right theme. You're on the tell Oh my god, I can't believe it. Okay. That's Let's what I was thinking of. <laughs>